0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming to the temple today to support your own practice and each other's practice. We're just about into Labor Day weekend, so everyone's off enjoying their last little fling, last little weekend before the the school comes back into, um, school opens up, children have to go back, people have that sense of going back to work. And we mark this time of the year with a festival called the Jizo Bon, Jizo Festival. Bon is festival in Japan. And this is tradition in, in Japan, and I thought I would read you a little bit from the book that I wrote about Jizo Bodhisattva. There's not much known about Jizo in the U.S., and when we first moved here, I used to talk a lot about Jizo because I had recently written the book, but I realized that we haven't talked much about Jizo Bodhisattva in the last few years. Somehow when you talk, you think, you you can hear the echoes in your mind and you think, well, I just talked about that, but no, it was 10 years ago when I talked about that. (laughs) So this is from the Jizo book and it's about the Jizo Festival for Children in Japan. Jizō's Enichi, special or saint's day in Japan, is the 24th day of the seventh month of the traditional lunar calendar. Temples especially dedicated to Jizō may hold services every month on that day, which is what we do here. A festival to honor Jizō still is celebrated in August in the Kyoto and Osaka region, at the end of the Obon or festival for the dead. So we usually celebrate it in August. depends on whether you use the Gregorian calendar or the lunar calendar. During the weeks of Obon, the gates between the human world and other realms are believed to open. The Obon is a traditional fall festival in Japan, celebrating the harvest, taking in the harvest, and having enough food to get through the winter. It's also a time when people um, honor the spirits of the dead. The spirits of the dead are welcomed and honored as they return to visit family and friends. Priests are very busy making rounds to parishioners' homes to chant sutras in memory of relatives who have died. Traditional bountiful offerings of food, especially cookies, candy, canned fruit, and also sake are placed on the altar for the hungry ghosts. The best offerings, however, are the sutras, for only the Dharma will slake the unending thirst of all beings and relieve their gnawing hunger. The Oban Festival often ends with bonfires and a ceremony in which hundreds of little boats made of leaves, each bearing a lighted candle, are floated on rivers or lakes. We have in our long-term plan here, uh, Toro Tanaka, who's our land- Japanese landscape gardener, has drawn uh, a plan for the monastery grounds, which you can see in the cafeteria, and it includes a, a pond, a lake, up on part of the softball field. And one of the things we would do if we ever have a pond is flight, float lanterns on the pond. The Jizoban festival occurs at the end of Obon because the gates that allowed spirits to return and visit will soon close and lock behind them for another year. It is an appropriate time to ask Jizo to assist these loved ones as they journey back, possibly to difficult realms. The Jizobon has become a festival for children, a time to express gratitude to Jizo and to evoke his special protection for little ones making their way through the perils of childhood in the coming year. And this is a description of Jizobon in Kyoto. Kyoto maintains a lot of the ancient customs. And so you can go there and see some of these uh, festivals. So This is an article in a, in a Japanese newspaper for foreigners. The surface of this religious observance looks like a gay neighborhood party to end the summer. Children under 13 and the adults of the neighborhood take part in the festival. On the morning of the 24th, a canopy is set up in front of Jizo shrine or statue. Even in cities, cities in Japan are divided into small neighborhoods with neighborhood policing, and uh, most of the neighborhoods will have a Jizo shrine. If the image is in a crowded area, a neighbor living close to the statue will open up his front rooms for the festivities. The point is that Jizo should be able to enjoy the fun too. Jizo and his shrine have been thoroughly cleaned. From early morning offerings of food and drink, of incense, candles, and flowers are made. The statue and or its shrine will have been draped with red and white bunting and red lanterns with Jizobon and each family's name written on them will be have been hung before each door in the neighborhood. These will be lighted in the evening to give a soft, rosy glow to the streets and alleys of the neighborhood. Excited children gather early in the day for games, organized and spontaneous, the drawing of prizes, snacks, and grit, and general fun. Some neighborhoods serve a communal supper of curry, noodles, or sushi, prepared by children under adult supervision. Nightfall brings the magic of sparklers and fireworks, cold drinks and watermelon, because it's extremely hot in Japan at the end of August, and perhaps bon odori dancing, which we did yesterday. The children and their parents bathed and dressed in colorful cotton summer kimono Enjoy the cool of the evening and its festivities with their neighbors. At bedtime, a final thank you to Jizo for past health and safety, and supplications for future protection are made. one is over, and so is summer. Children must return to school. Farmers must start preparations for the autumn crops and harvests, and businessmen, their autumn sales offensive, Ofe- <laughs> offensives. <laughs> So this is very traditional in all over Japan, but particularly in some of the more rural areas where they keep the old traditions, and in Kyoto and Nara. And we have had for many years a Jizo festival here, which we had yesterday, Bon, And we have some of these elements. We we bring out lanterns, which you can see in the cafeteria, and uh, old lanterns from past years, and hang them up and uh, pictures of Jizo, Jizo banners, some of which we took down but we left some in the cafeteria so those of you who weren't here yesterday could see them. And then we have a lantern painting, and each person can paint a lantern. And if you want you can put names of people that you wish to remember and honor. And then we did some uh, obon dancing. There's a man in Astoria who happened to love obon dancing and trained in obon dancing and we discovered him a few years ago and he comes and teaches us obon dancing and many of them are based on they're very old some of them and some of them are based on traditional peasant activities so one of our favorite or my favorite dance um uh, it's an imitation of doing coal mining So you dig the coal and you dig the coal and you throw it over your shoulder and you throw it over your shoulder and you push, push the coal cart and then you wipe your brow and wipe your brow. Um, So it's very, very sweet to feel like you're participating in these very ancient uh, rituals. And then uh, we have dinner and then we have a play. We had a lovely shadow play last night put on by the young people here at the monastery with music and jokes and jokes that were apparent that were apparent to kids and jokes that would be only apparent to adults and then we do a procession through the forest in the night with the lanterns which is so moving to me to look back and see this procession of lanterns winding its way through the dark forest and then we have people who are hungry ghosts who moan and howl and jump out and everyone is instructed to Pick up a hungry ghost if you can, and bring them down for the Jizō ceremony, which is here. And then we have fireworks at the end. So many of the, uh, of the aspects of the ceremony we've brought to this country, and it's a very lovely, happy time. Some people were saying, "Oh, I love it's like a party." We're really, really nice to have a party here. And of course, each part of the ceremony has significance. For instance winding your way through the dark forest with a, with a lantern with hungry ghosts all around. That's really what our life is like. Our life is a spiritual pilgrimage, often through dark and, and worrisome places, even very frightening places. But if we're carrying the light of Dharma with us, then we have the ability to see our way through along that path. And even if frightening things happen, we have the reassurance and the protection of the Dharma to fall back on. And then the hungry ghosts need taming, so people bring them in the zendo. And at first they're scared and agitated, and then as the service goes on, they they get more calm. And of course that's about our life too—how we're um, we're a little—we have a lot of parts of us that need taming, and that are upset and agitated and anxious and distressed, and how the the dharma and our practice can help them learn to live in the world. Our temple is called Jizosan Daiganji, Jizosan, uh, san san or zan means uh, mountain in Japan, and every temple has a mountain name. Even if it's in a a city surrounded by high-rises in Japan, it still has a mountain name uh, to honor the old tradition of temples being built in the outskirts of cities or uh, up, up on mountaintops. So our temple uh, mountain name is Jizo Mountain. And although we don't have a mountain, we have a little, it's a little higher back there. And then behind, we have a bigger, a bigger rise. And we have a rise over here where we're going to put our cemetery. I just, I came back a few months ago from Zen Mountain Monastery, which is our sister monastery in, in New York, founded by my Dharma brother, Dido, who's now passed on but the temple is still very strong. And I went back there to do some teaching and they have a very beautiful cemetery in the forest up up on a hill at Zen Mountain Monastery. And I looked at it and I realized we really need, it's time to get going on a cemetery here. We're actually zoned, it's not even a conditional use, it's an accepted use, a permitted use, to have a cemetery here. When we first came here, we realized we had to find the correct zoning because zoning laws are so strict in Oregon, for good reasons, so that the forests and agricultural land and beaches are protected. But we couldn't build a monastery unless, uh, or occupy a building unless it had the correct zoning. So the zoning for this property is I think P1, and P1 allows a school, a hospital, a nursing home, a government building, an armory uh, and a cemetery. And I said, well, we're kind of a combination of all of those things except not the armory. (laughs) Although, (laughs) we armor ourselves in a different way, right? Our weapons for making our way through life, our protection is the Dharma. Not weapons that kill, but weapons that bring us back to life. But we just, when I came back from Zen Mountain Monastery, I said, we're all getting older. We don't know when some of us will die would happen very suddenly and unpredictably and we need to have a place that's dedicated for the cemetery because many of our members downtown too are infirm we just we have a member he's actually younger but he has severe multiple sclerosis and he was just got somehow dehydrated and his sodium dropped very low and he was in the hospital and we didn't know if he would survive and Dano has been in the hospital for two nights with a temperature of 103 and pneumonia so we don't know, right? Impermanence could strike any of us anytime. So we've cleared a space up on the little hill over there to be our cemetery space, and we'll, we'll develop it a little bit. But uh, any of you who would like some ashes buried here, that will be available. So we're Jizo Mountain, and then Daigonji. Daigonji means great vow, after Jizo's great vow. And Jizo's great vow is to continue to help people out of difficult realms until all the difficult realms are emptied. And the difficult realms are the hell realm, defined as um, unending physical or mental-emotional pain with no hope of release. So no dharma, no spiritual practice, no hope of release. And, And, you know, we can all fall into any of these realms. People can fall into a realm where they really feel hopeless and don't want to go on with life because they feel that they're contributing to the suffering of of the world. So anybody can fall into the hellish realms anytime. And the next difficult realm is the hungry ghost realm, which is unceasing craving and hungering for something that you don't have. uh, and And even when you have it, it doesn't bring relief. So the classic description is um, addiction where you keep thinking, well, if I have more of this drug, or if I have more alcohol, if I have more relationships, or if I have more children, if I have more dogs, people take in, you know, 62 dogs. Uh, All of these are attempting to find something on the outside that will bring relief from our own internal suffering. So there's endless craving. If you have 62 dogs, one more dog will not end your suffering. And if you've just gotten drunk and you're acting really stupid and insulting people, one more drink is not going to end your suffering. So traditionally the hungry ghosts are shown with little teeny throats and great big bellies because their hunger is immense, but they can't take in what they really need to take in to end their suffering, which is the Dharma or spiritual practice, something that brings them back to a place of ease that doesn't depend on anything external. So the place of ease, the home is here, in this place, in this room, at this time, at this moment, in this body, in this life. So Jizo's vow was to keep helping people out of the difficult realms, out of the hellish realm, out of the um, hungry ghost realm, and then the next realm is the animal realm, which has less suffering in general, and then the human realm where people can actually practice. So Jizo and Kanon, the bodhisattva of compassion, are both said to be able to traverse freely between the six realms and help people to move to the human realm. So there's also suffering in the, in the jealous gods realm and also in the heavenly realm because of impermanence. So nobody can stay in the heavenly realm forever. You might think lots of money, lots of, quote, successful real estate deals and, and um, beauty and so on, will will um, guarantee you happiness for the rest of your life but we know what happens to movie stars after they well especially women after they turn 30 or 35 suddenly they're in they've fallen from the heavenly realms and they're down there where nobody will hire them right so heavenly realms only last a while all of them so Jesus will can move between all of those realms and help people to the realm of of human beings where the true, the true medicine for suffering is found, which is our practice, our spiritual practice, our Dharma practice. So that's the great vow. And it's called a, a vow without a calendar or a wristwatch. It's not a vow for the impatient, which I am chronically impatient, <laughs> but it's an unending vow because, probably because of the existence of samsara, this will take forever. A Jizo is prepared to take forever to do that. And I became interested in in Jizo because I was a pediatrician, and Jizo is said to be the particular protector of children, uh, women in in medieval times, because women and children had a very hard time in life, Uh, anyone who's ill or needs extra help, both in the normal realms of living daily life, but also in the spiritual realms, in the hellish realms and so on. And there was a statue at Zen Center in Los Angeles that I was drawn to. This is before I knew who Jizo was. And there was a stone statue that I was really drawn to and I would bathe it, because I heard you bathe statues in Japan. And I planted flowers around it and tended that statue. And it turned out it was a statue of Jizo, protector of children. And then Roshi, we had a clinic at, at ZCLA. And so I saw many children from very, poor families who lived around us, families that would have 15 people living in a one-bedroom apartment. And they usually wouldn't bring their children in because they were so poor, unless the children were, were quite ill and needed, pretty much they walked in the door, you, needed, you know they needed antibiotics. The families had an instinct for that. And Roshi brought a little Jizo statue, a golden statue, maybe 10 inches tall. And we made an altar and put it in the clinic, the Zen Center clinic. And I am not particularly drawn to gold, golden statues because I was raised Protestant, and that's sort of anathema in Protestantism. You don't have statues and you don't bow down to statues. And of course, in, in Buddhism, we're not bowing to a statue, a stone statue, or behind the screens there, a golden statue. We're, we're bowing to what they embody and asking that to manifest in our life. So I got interested in Jizo, and then um, read a lot about Jizo and wrote the book. And then when we came to Oregon, I began working in the field of child abuse. And of course, those are children who need every tiny bit of care we can give them and hope we can give them. Many of them feel quite hopeless, and um, especially if they're shifted around from one foster home to another. Each time they're moved, they feel like it's their fault, and they uh, develop a very, very difficult self-image about their own um, worth in life because they can they feel continually rejected. So, Jizo became especially important doing child abuse work uh, because sometimes it seems that human suffering and human capacity to create. Suffering for others, including children, is endless. So Jesus was a very um, supportive figure for me while I was doing my 35 years of child abuse work. And of course, child abuse is not old, it's not new, it's forever because it's part of samsara. And here's an example. In, um, in Japan, as, it, as was true in many medieval countries, uh, child abandonment was common. People were poor. They couldn't support their children. They would just abandon them. And this is from 1684 in Japan. The great poet Basho, who's honored as a Zen poet, while on a pilgrimage, encountered a deserted child uh, and was moved to write a poem. His diary also reflects the belief that a fetus or a child has its own karma. So there was a belief at the time that the The fetus or child had its own karma and it wasn't so terrible to release uh, a fetus or a miscarried child or a young child. Young children were considered close to the gods and could easily return to the god realms. So it wasn't considered terrible to release a child back to the gods, release them back to death. Here's what Basho writes. As I was plodding along the river Fuji. I saw a small child, hardly three years of age, crying pitifully on the bank, obviously abandoned by his parents. They must have thought this child was unable to ride through the stormy waters of life, which run as wild as the rapid river itself, and that he was destined to have a life even shorter than that of the morning dew. The child looked as fragile as the flowers of bush clover that scatter at the slightest stir of the autumn wind, and it was so pitiful that i gave him what little food i had with me and here's his poem the ancient poet who pitied monkeys for their cries what would he say if he saw this child crying in the autumn wind and then basho continues in his diary how is it indeed that this child has been reduced to this state of utter misery it is because of his mother who ignored is it because of his mother who ignored him or because of his father who abandoned him at last it seems to me that this child, child's undeserved suffering has become caused by something far greater and more massive by what one might call the irresistible will of heaven if it is so child you must raise your voice to heaven and I must pass on leaving you behind so Basho was moved by this child's plight but he felt again that this was part of 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 the will of heaven part of the child's karma and he when we gave the child food he he went on and then another uh, legend indicating that child abuse was common what we would call child abuse now it wasn't called child abuse at the time or hell as child abuse was common in japan um is this, this legend about Jizo, there are many, many legends about Jizo. A thousand years ago in Anwara, there was a woman who believed in Jizo and prayed that she might have an image of the Bodhisattva in her house to make offerings to. One day she found an old wooden Jizo in the river in front of her house. She rejoiced and prayed to this Jizo every morning and evening to be granted a child. She became pregnant and delivered a boy, but when he was four years old, she suddenly died. Her husband took a second wife who was very cruel to the little boy. So these are recurring themes in in literature, right, of all countries, of somebody who wants to get pregnant, miraculously they get pregnant, of death, of a parent, and then the wicked stepmother mm -hmm, or stepfather. Her husband took a second wife who was very cruel to the little boy. The child had learned from his mother to pray to Jizo. One day when his father was away, he took a little rice and, weeping for his dead mother, offered it to Jizo and to his mother's memorial tablet at the family shrine. When the stepmother came into the house, she found the child kneeling before the shrine and flew into a rage. She seized the boy and threw him into a kettle that was boiling over the fire. At that very moment, the father, who was traveling on a road, became very confused and was unable to go on. He felt compelled to return home. As he turned back, he saw a Buddhist priest standing by the road with a child on his back who cried out with a voice that he recognized. It was the voice of his own son. The man asked who this child was. The priest answered, I have substituted my own body for this child when his stepmother was about to kill him you must entrust him to other people who will raise and educate him well he put the child in the arms of his frightened father the man asked the priest where he lived the monk replied near the temple of the repository king and disappeared into thin air after giving his son over to the care of kind friends the father returned home there he found his wife stoking the fire under a kettle when when she saw her husband she quickly put out the fire and became quite distressed He asked her, Where is my son? Pretending grief, she told him that the boy had been playing by the river and had drowned. The man strode to the kettle and took off the lid. There he found the old wooden Jizo floating in the boiling water. He realized the terrible thing his wife had done and saw that indeed Jizo had changed places with his son to save the boy's life. Weeping bitterly, he left the life of a householder and became a monk. (laughs) From that time forth, he was utterly devoted to Jizo Bodhisattva. So that's a very um, typical story about Jizo in the in the collected literature of ancient tales about Jizo. And Jizo is said to be able to uh, substitute, to um, transform himself into the the body and and life of someone who is substituting. Desperately and save them from substitution, from suffering. There are many, many stories of substitution Jesus, Jesus who transform into into someone else to help save them, and this is an example. But notice some interesting themes that Jesus says, uh, "This child can't live in your home anymore." So that's often what a judge says in a in a in a family court. Uh, here or criminal court in, in our country. This child cannot live in this home anymore. It's too dangerous. has to be put in, in the care of some kind people, foster parents. And I know that at least one of you has served as a CASA, as a court-appointed special advocate, somebody who who uh, works for the child's benefit when the parents are have lawyers, everybody's lawyered up, the parents have lawyers and the state has lawyers and they're fighting over the child, but nobody's really watching out for the directly for the welfare of the child and what the child might want and need so in in our life we can all serve as this uh, jizo who helps rescue children uh, even just smiling at a child there was a child here yesterday who was a little bit frightened she was very shy when she first came in because she didn't know what was going to happen with the jizo ceremony and she was quite shy and hiding behind her mother and I just began talking to her a little bit, uh, and, ju- and just when I would see her, I would smile at her, and gradually she came she came out of her shy shell. And then uh, when we go through the garden, through the Jizo garden, and it's dark, and the and the hungry ghosts are howling, it's pretty scary. It's, it's It wasn't quite as dark as we do it usually. Last night it wasn't quite as dark. Because when it's really dark, you're stumbling over roots, and it's really <laughs> pretty amazing when you have this little lantern finding your way in the dark, spiritual theme. Um, <laughs> um, but a few years ago, somebody wrote me an email after the after we did this ceremony and said, I just think that's really traumatic for children. I just don't think you should do this procession in the dark through the forest with these hungry ghosts howling and jumping out at them. And so I polled the kids who had come, and I asked them all, well, you know, what was this experience like for you? And, and how about going through the dark in the Jesus Garden and the Hungry Ghosts? And they all said, oh, that was the best part. I just love that. That was so great. <laughs> so I wrote the person back and said, you know, uh, the children say it's fine. And I think it's that combination of something that's scary, but it's framed for them as not, not frightening. And children like to be frightened a little, but not too much. And when you have a whole group around you and you have it explained that the Hungry Ghosts are just ignorant and they're scared, too, and they need help. And could you, would you take at the hand of a hungry ghost after you've fed the hungry ghost and bring them back to the zendo and, and tell them not to be afraid and take off their shoes and bow and so on. The children then are switched to helpers instead of being frightened. And that's another theme for us. Mm-hmm. There's a story my mother told me, which I'll never forget about, I really, I've taken it to heart in so many situations where when she was about to enter kindergarten, she was very frightened to go to her first day of kindergarten. And my grandmother, who was a teacher, said to her, there will be somebody in the room who's more frightened than you. Look for that person and go over and sit down and become their friend. And that's exactly what happened. She looked around, she saw a little girl weeping in the corner, and she went over and sat down next to her and said, would you be my friend? And so, that, and they became well, long-term friends. But we always have the capacity to help someone. We always have the capacity to embody Jizo Bodhisattva and help someone. No matter how tiny the way seems to us, uh, it could be very powerful for the person. Sometimes we, we find that out, but usually we don't. We don't find out that what we did helped someone. Occasionally we get a little message from someone or uh, someone comes and says, oh, this, what you did ten years ago was so helpful to me. And you had no idea. So we just have to go on in the faith that to do, to, to, to be kind to people and to help people whenever we can is, is the right way to live. And that we, when we come out of ourselves and come out of the shell of our own suffering and just put that behind and move forward and, and reach out into the world to help others, that by itself will help us out of our own suffering. So reading those two stories, ancient stories, we realized that samsara is samsara. And this was a theme that I uh, spoke about during our last session, which was a session on loving-kindness and compassion, our deep hope that the world can come to some kind of peace. You know, all of us would like peace in the world, but sometimes it, it, it just seems help, hopeless. and you know, We seem helpless. How are we supposed to help people in Syria? How are we supposed to end, end uh, a war that just keeps going on in the, in the Middle East? What are we supposed to do about ISIL, about ISIS? And terrorists who, who, who are bent on their own way of, of trying to create their own world of happiness, right? Their idea of happiness in the world, which would be a caliphate and Sharia law. So how, how do we keep working when it almost seems hopeless, when it seems like we may destroy the world? But we must, we must. We can't give in to despair. But we also have to realize, and this is absolutely what the Buddha taught, samsara is samsara. Samsara will always exist, as long as they're human beings, and as long as they're deluded or they're raised by cruel parents, or samsara will continue to roll forward. We cannot save everyone. We can save ourselves first so that we have the ability to do some good in the world, wherever, wherever we're placed. So you can just look around you and, and see where, where people are serving to, to help in the world. Each person has their particular place. So we have on, on Saturday, we have a farmer's market where people who raise healthy produce and honey and so on bring it to sell. That's their particular little piece of the huge jigsaw puzzle of human suffering. They've said, okay, this is my piece. This is what I can do. Or the fire department here, you know the EMTs, or um, they're just endless ways. I'm, I always think of the people who collect garbage because we think of as people who collect garbage as. I think all of us have a little prejudice against that. Boy, I sure don't want like that job, handling everybody's refuge all day long and getting all grimy and dirty. Or, or the trunk, the the trucks that come and pu- pump your septic tank. How many people would like to have that job, where you you're pumping. You're pumping sewage out all day long into a tank and then taking it somewhere. But think of the suffering that would occur if that didn't happen. Those people are directly relieving human suffering because if they didn't do those jobs for a week or however long it takes your septic tank to overflow, we we would all be suffering. And the, and the kindly checkout clerk who helps you find something or find the price on something or somebody who helps you in... In Walmart, you know, I, had, I Walmart is a, is, a, is a nation unto its own, <laughs> and people have very, ma- lots of feelings about Walmart. But I realized this when I shop there. This is an oasis for some people. Walmart is an oasis for some people, where they can buy food inexpensively, including organic food is available there, and I found the clerks to be unfailing, unfailingly helpful and nice. So there's so many realms where we can work in samsara. But I think everyone feels heartbreak when they see children suffering. So the picture that that um, was sh- shown in the news a few weeks ago of the child who was pulled from a bombed building in Syria, and he's put in the back of an ambulance, and he's covered with dust, and he's obviously in shock. It really moved people's hearts. And the physicians who were pleading from Aleppo saying, We, you know, people are starving, children are literally starving to death in Aleppo. Please, United Nations, please, developed countries, do something about this. And we're all moved when we see pictures of ch- or hear stories of children suffering because somehow we feel that uh, children are innocent and we want to protect that innocence and we also feel that they shouldn't suffer because they are innocent. And we want to uh, protect the qualities of of children, of that innocence. So this is a, a question for all of you. What are the qualities in children that you think should be preserved throughout a person's life? So what are the qualities of a child that you treasure and lo- love to see in somebody who's an adult or an elderly person can you name some of those qualities imagination, imagination or creativity hmm? Curiosity. Hmm? Curiosity. curiosity endless curiosity trust open heartedness laughter, laughter. Spontaneity. spontaneity any other qualities child qualities Mm, the desire to learn curiosity and the desire to continually learn playfulness, playfulness. Mm-hmm. wonderment, wonderment. A, an aspect of curiosity but even more an awareness of the, of the mystery of the unknown qualities and exploring these mysteries in the world that everything is mysterious mm-hmm. the children everything is mysterious if you're a baby and your this, this thing comes in front of your eyes you, you just like you watch babies do this and that and what is this this pink apparition mm-hmm. they just amazed at it or children who can play with ladybugs or lightning bugs my my six-year-old grandson was raised in Oregon and never seen lightning bugs and last year I took him back to meet his cousins in Illinois and I had forgotten about lightning bugs and he was totally enchanted By lightning bugs and catching them and watching them, he held them. They hold them so gently. Children who've been taught to do that, and there's just a wondrous phenomenon. Mm -hmm. This bug that blinks on and off. Any other qualities of children that an open mind, Mm -hmm. so haven't haven't put people and things in categories, right? Good and bad, but just open. So babies. Sometimes we'll, if they, <laughs> their diapers get overloaded, you'll find them painting with their own feces, You know, very happy, or eating their own feces. They don't know the difference. And of course then they get punished and then things begin to be put into categories of good, bad, and good boy, bad boy. So the qualities in, these are some of the qualities we came up uh, with in asking in a practice group, many of which you've mentioned the qualities of children that we would of child nature that we would like to preserve innocence openness acceptance curiosity energy unself consciousness a natural loving quality spontaneity freedom flexibility lack of anxiety and worry hmm? that's an important quality because as soon as we start to grow up and take on responsibilities we take on the anxiety and worry that go with responsibilities and that's often why People try to avoid responsibility by going to school endlessly <laughs> because you can, you know you can succeed in that realm. You can get A's, right? So you just keep going to school and getting more and more degrees, which is great. It educates you, but there's a sense of not launching into the world of responsibility, and responsibility There's awareness that will bring some worry and anxiety. So how about qualities of childhood that you don't want to retain? High volume, <laughs> very loud, very energetic. Yes. Lack of impulse control. Lack of impulse control. Tantrums. Tantrums. Yes. Upset when we don't get our own way. Right. What else? Self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. The world is as big as me, and I don't care about other people, or it's as big as my family, but my dad can beat up your dad, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> other qualities of ch- child nature we wouldn't like to preserve johnny emotional turbulence, emotional turbulence. Mm-hmm. crashes joy then a crash then joy then a crash um, highs and lows our son used to used to have meltdowns and we would say to him you just need to eat something because he's very thin you just need to eat something no, no, no it's terrible is, just eat something no, no, no and then he would shove a piece of cheese in his mouth and he would chew the cheese and then the tears would end and then he would calm down and then he would smile and go off and play again <laughs> <laughs> so there's always a lack of knowledge of what's going on inside of yourself and how to take care of it right Yeah. anybody else qualities of childhood that you would not like to carry selfishness, selfishness. self-centeredness and selfishness So um, (laughs) Shoahako Okamura, who's a a Zen teacher from Japan, who came and practiced in the US when Katagiri Roshi died, he took over the uh, Minnesota Zen Center, and he had a wife and a young child, and he talked about going to the playground with his young child with some toys, with the idea that his little boy would play with the other children, share the toys, and that would be a way for his son to get acquainted with American children. So they go to the playground, he puts the toys down, and some American children approach his son, and and they reach out for the toy, and his son pulls it back and says, no, that is mine. And he realized, oh, my son knows English. (laughs) He knows no and mine. (laughs) And he also talked about that as the realization of the self, self and other, right there. This is, uh, this is me, this is mine and you're other and you can't have it and of course he encouraged his child to share uh, in which his child did but, you, but there's an innate selfishness that has, cannot be encouraged and has to be worked with in, in children so here's some of the qualities that we when we talked about this before uh, some of the qualities that we would not like to retain, vulnerability so that's interesting isn't it vulnerability, we would like to retain the openness, the open-heartedness, but the vulnerability needs to be protected. Ignorance, helplessness, and self-centeredness, and then temper tantrums and so on. So there are many aspects of childhood that we would not like to retain. So I distinguish these as childlike and childish. The childish are the difficult aspects of child nature. And childlike are the qualities that we would like to preserve and carry through into our adult years or reclaim, recover through spiritual practice. Remember that Jesus said, uh, unless you come to me, as it will actually read the story. Because it's in the book. So there are these qualities that we want to uh, preserve uh, if we can in children and it really hurts us to see them being, uh, being injured and destroyed by cruelty and by the things that go on in the, in the world of samsara like war. The Bible relates a story of a group of mothers who brought children to Jesus asking him to touch and bless them Like all mothers, they were worried about the safety and future of their children, and they were asking for his protection and guidance. The disciples of Jesus were annoyed and told the mothers to go away, feeling that Jesus was too important and busy to bother with a group of noisy, dirty children. But Jesus called the children over to him and rebuked the disciples, saying, Let the little children come to me. Never send them away, for to such people with hearts as trusting as children belongs the kingdom of heaven. I say to you, whoever does not receive the heavenly kingdom like a child shall never enter that kingdom. So what is being said here in Buddhist language that we cannot enter nirvana, the gateless gate to our true and enduring life, unless, unless we have the hearts and faith of children. So how to recognize the vulnerability and protect the vulnerability, but maintaining the open heart. And that's what our last retreat was about, to take up the practice of loving-kindness, to take up the practice of compassion and sympathetic joy, because they become the staff that Jesus carries, the staff to help us, support us in difficult times, when we have those practices and can call them forth. If we're feeling vulnerable, if we're feeling attacked, we can do those practices for ourselves in order to bring ourselves to a place where we can do them for others and help in the world so there's a very sweet uh, story about about um, child like and the can find my bookmark here and the reward for being childlike. Let's see if I have it here. Oh, here it is. So this is from the 13th century. Once there was an old woman, she was a nun, who was devoted to Jizo Bodhisattva and had always wished to see him, not just as a statue, but in person. Many Chinese Buddhists actually say that they have seen Jizo in person. Just like in Christianity, people see vision of the Madonna or Jesus. Hearing that Jizo went out at daybreak to help people she set out walking early one morning, wearing the best of her two robes, hoping to meet him. So there's an underrobe, like our kimono, and then the outer robe. She soon met a man who, when she told him of her errand, promised to lead her to Jizo if she would give him her robe. The nun was innocent in the ways of the world and did not recognize that the man was actually a thief. She readily gave him her outer robe, which would have left her in her underrobe. Hmm? Her undergarment. Laughing at her foolishness, he led her to a small house where a man and his small son lived. The boy's name happened to be Jizo. The pious woman did not realize that she had been tricked. She knelt reverently before the boy and worshipped him. The neighbors all laughed to see the old nun bowing down in her under kimono. And then the little boy scratched idly at his forehead with a stick he had been playing with suddenly his face split from top to bottom and inside was the shining face of a beautiful golden jizo thus the nun was granted her wish and when she died she was rewarded for her devotion by being taken straight to heaven so this is an example of child like faith and trust and how it was rewarded and of course, there's another theme here too. What do you think about the scratching of the, of the head with the stick? Splitting open to reveal Jizo inside. What does that tell us? Irritation. Ah, that's a good I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Irritation is required for transformation that we're going to go through some difficult times which will make us scratch or, yeah, be unhappy, right? And that that's part of the spiritual journey and part of finding ourselves. But it also says that inside of every person, every person is a bodhisattva. In this case, it happened to be Jizo, but it could be the bodhisattva of compassion, it could be the bodhisattva of wisdom, manjusri, it could be the bodhisattva of great activity, samantabhadra, and so on. Each bodhisattva embodies an, an aspect of us. And some people are very energetic, and they they embody the bodhisattva of, of energies, samantabhadra. Some people are very loving and compassionate, and they embody the qualities of... Avalokiteshvara. And of course, we'd all like to embody them all. And so we take up practices to help us with the ones that maybe we don't embody uh, or manifest so overtly in our life, but are lying there latent. So this story says that all of these qualities of enlightenment are latent within us. And yes, we have to be irritated by practice, (laughs) sit long, face difficulties... And then gradually, in this case suddenly, but gradually, those qualities will be revealed. And then we are better able to help in the world. Some of these stories sound funny to us because they're ancient stories, but all of these legends have an underlying theme which is about our life. So I encourage you to look at your own way of being in the world, and to find some aspects, some ways of supporting, encouraging, uh, bringing forth those qualities that are childlike, and to um, not feed the qualities that are childish. And of course that's the basis of our practice. To end this self-centered view of I, me, mine, and that's the whole world, and I want to get rid of the things that I don't like and take in the things that I do like and hold on to them forever. Of course, an impossible task. And to keep on enlarging, enlarging through practice who you are. Who you are in the world. We, um, next week, we're taking a vacation, a vacation, this was recommended to us by a a Theravada monk who used to come here and teach Ajahn Amaro. Some of you may have practiced with him. And he's looking at our schedule. He said, your schedule is so full of caring for other people. And sometimes we're caring for a hundred people here at a time. But uh, we also want to keep the monastery open so that anybody who's in need can come and find solace and refuge and spiritual renewal at the monastery. But Ajahn Amaro said, you also have to renew yourselves. You can't just keep giving, 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 which and both Hogan and I are healthcare professionals, and that tends to be a disease of healthcare professionals, that they just keep giving and giving and giving until they suffer from compassion fatigue, which is what it's commonly called now, or burnout. So his advice was have times when you really refresh yourselves and what we realized is the way that our way of refreshing ourselves so for example Jogan and Kisei are away this weekend Jogan has been here for 13 years Kisei not quite as long as that maybe half as long and they are a couple but they the way they spent their vacations was they would individually go off and do retreats and and so they they, they would they're very dedicated to practice so their idea of vacation was we go and do a retreat somewhere We go down to Stewart Creek House and do a retreat there. We go off and do a retreat with another teacher. But they weren't taking vacations together. So as we reassessed our situation in terms of refreshing ourselves, we realized, oh, this couple needs to take a vacation together. And so that's what they're off doing for the first time. They're taking a vacation together. And for the first time in the 13 years that Jogan has been here... He's actually taking a vacation, what normal people would call a vacation. So we're rejoicing in that. And ne- for the next week, people will be coming and going uh, and doing vacation. There's a whole group going off to, uh, under the guidance of Soten and Sine, to do a camping trip, hiking and camping trip. And... <clears throat> in order for them not to be caring for the people on the camping trip, (laughs) which would not be a vacation (laughs) for the two of them, they've planned it so there'll be silence, there'll be meditation time, and people will be caring for themselves. So we have to be very careful in the helping professions, that we don't just exhaust ourselves by giving and giving and giving. And we have to do what we might call self-centered. You see, you take a concept like self-centeredness, and you extend it too far, and you end up thinking that anything you do for yourself is selfish. So that's a a pitfall, an extreme. So all of us who who care for people, all of us care for people in some way, care for others in some way. We have to be careful to renew ourselves, whether it's coming here on Sunday to meditate or coming to a retreat, learning loving-kindness practice and practicing that for yourself and others how can you be renewed? Whether Hogan and I go square dancing, that's our time together and our renewal. Good, clean, innocent fun. I highly recommend. Giselle bon was good, clean, innocent fun. Anybody could come from children to grandparents and have a good time. So look for ways to renew yourself that are just very simple. Bring you back to nature, bring you back to that child-like way of being in the world. That's what renews us. And when Jesus said it is through that quality of childhood, childlike quality, that we enter the kingdom of heaven, he was pointing out something very, very important. That it is when we can do practice and open ourselves up, we call it vulnerability, but when we can open ourselves back up and become thoroughly saturated with those qualities of innocence and trust and curiosity and openness to everything that happens in the world as in a way a little miracle that that is the doorway into home back to home so thank you very much Um, I would just say that it doesn't take a month of vacation or two weeks of vacation to do that Often vacations can be very stressful, so you have to plan them carefully so that it is truly a vacation, this nice, simple vacation with a lot of of anxiety. But even more than that, what I've learned myself, having been a healthcare professional, is that I have to know what the the small parts of me inside, the childlike parts of me, really enjoy doing, and I have to sprinkle them throughout my life throughout my day even and not wait 13 years and then take a vacation that doesn't work very well but sprinkle them uh, throughout your life so if you love to cook then figure out a way to cook once a week that's very renewing for me I love to cook for other people but if you're the Tenzo and you're cooking day after day and you're always thinking of menus and you're always thinking of how you're going to shop then don't cook on your day off do something completely different that's renewing mm-hmm. so i have knitting that i pick up when we're in the car cuz i forgot how to knit i used to knit and i and it's very creative and i really love the colors and the simplicity of knitting and i have clay so i can go back if I, if the if i moved to make a clay statue i can go back and work for a while with clay which is very childlike you know making mud pies remember when you used to do that and mud milkshakes So all of us have ways of renewing ourselves, whether it's reading science fiction, or playing the piano, or just singing in the shower. There are ways to nourish our child, the childlike parts of us, and express those qualities, which makes our life more fun, and also more fun for the people around us. So I encourage you to find out what nourishes those young parts in you in healthy ways and to sprinkle them throughout your your day and your life thank you